75 metres back. Bernard Foley's got the length. It's got the length. The distance. Hello and welcome to Pick and Drive Rugby, where the people's podcast, providing a platform for rugby lovers to come together and support the game that's played in heaven. I'm your host, Ando, and with me in morning are Mitch and Lockie. Mitch, how are you feeling, mate? Pretty pretty devastated, to be honest. We've just um, had the Sevens, the Perth Sevens finals be played oh, half an hour, not even, ago. And uh, yeah, not the result that the Aussie teams wanted or probably deserved in the way that they had played the tournament. Very good tournament from them overall, but yeah, pretty deflating finals series. Gutted. Absolutely gutted, mate. If there's one thing worse than getting silver, it's getting two silvers. And I'm so proud of the overall performance to get to a home final in Perth. They did so well. They fought against adversity and we'll get into it, but a lot of cards as well to get there. But going down the girls and then the boys losing in finals. It's just, it hurts in a different way to them getting knocked out early. Mate, I'm going to rip in uh, later when we actually go through the sevens because I am pissed. But for now, let's be professional, hey? And let's just quickly remind our listeners that we have changed the format of our podcast. We're now going to be releasing two shorter episodes each week. For our season previews, they'll be released on a Monday and a Wednesday. Typically, it'll be the Monday interview with a person from the club. And then the Wednesday will be our pre uh, our predictions and kind of going through the squad and the changes and the like. Now, Now, because we've had a couple of big events, we're also adding on a little comment about the sevens, which has obviously been happening over the weekend, as well as the big news coming out in the last week about the Melbourne Rebels. I will just say that the news about the Rebels going into voluntary administration happened prior, uh, occurred after my interview with Nick Styles. So there was no, obviously no opportunity for us to speak to him about that because chronologically it didn't work. So with that said, Tonight, you're going to be hearing from the GM of rugby, the uh, general manager of rugby at the Melbourne Rebels, Nick Stiles. We'll speak about the Sevens, the Rebels, and then jump into things from there. So we are very, very excited to let everybody know that we have the best Australian rugby community going around, which is our Discord channel. You can find the links to join out on any of our social media platforms. And then one last quick thing. Can you please, if you like what we do, give us a like, a review, please, on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please. It really, really helps our podcast get shared and um, more and more people hear the good news and the gospel of Australian rugby. So without any further ado, let's jump into the Rugby Sevens. Well, gents, we are facing a Sunday night of morning here. You'll be listening on Monday and it will be Monday morning continued in much the same mood because we have two silver medals coming out of the Perth Sevens, the inaugural event where our Aussie Sevens men and women went down in back-to-back gold medal games. First, the Golden Girls falling agonisingly short against Ireland, 19 points to 14, the Irish got up, before Argentina put on a bit of a clinic against our men, running out 31 to 5 victors. Gents, first impressions of a night with two grand final losses. Mitch, how does that feel? Yeah, it hurts. It really does. And it's not an accurate representation of the way that both teams had played the, the whole tournament. They played really, really well. And the Aussie women only picking up one loss throughout the series. Their first loss of the 
2023-2024 World Series for Sevens, which was um, a, a massive achievement for them up until that point. They did get a red card to uh, take, uh, Tegan Levi in that game, and they actually got two red cards throughout this this tournament. So lots of cards to talk about, but um, just not able to get over that hump in that game, which probably would have seen them maybe potentially face someone else in the final. Uh, but coming up against the final, they did get Tegan back. They lost her through HIA in the game. Um, they lost Bian Tarita as well uh, to, due to an ankle injury. And without those two star players, Maddie Levi also on the sideline um, through another red card. Without those three players able to, to have their impact on the game, they just weren't really able to take the uh, the game by the scruff of the neck in the final there. And Ireland, to their credit, played very well, played very good sevens rugby and kept the ball off Australia for the majority of that game. And we will get to the men as well in a tick. But, Ando, I know you're itching to talk about that girls' final. A last gas try there to Eve Higgins, sealed at Charlotte Kaslick, also saw yellow in the big dance as well, running out five-point losers, and you could see the hurt on them. What stung you about this game? Mate, I hate it. I'm so pissed off. And for anybody that takes the moral high ground and says, oh, the women need to be the ones that are the determiners of their own fate, they've got to get the red cards down. Yeah, shut up. Shut up. Nobody wants to hear it in this moment, okay? Basically, (laughs) I'm pissed off because you know how you get those 50-50 rock moments where the player does have a bit of clearance when they go down for the jackling of the ball and it's up to the ref to determine whether or not they think it's enough? Well, in three key moments throughout the game, we got pinged when on another day we would have got those turnovers. And the two that happened right at the end of the first half um, resulted in a pressure that led to Charlotte Kaslick getting yellow carded. And then the third major one that happened was right at the end of the game, right before the match-winning try to Ireland when Charlotte Kaslick was on the ball well, had made the tackle, released, got up on the ball and then got pinged again. And then they did a quick tap and got the try. So I'm just pissed that our women weren't able to ride the luck to overcome the challenges, some of which were self-enforced that they'd faced throughout the tournament. Yeah, they need to bring their tackle height down. Yeah, they're unlucky that they had injuries to two players as well throughout the tournament. It just, it just sucks that even despite those challenges, the ref, made calls which I can get uppity and pissed off about, which resulted in us losing the final at home in front of an excellent crowd. I'm I'm just I'm just frustrated. No, understandably. And Mitch, if we look over to the boys as well, who didn't have as good a record heading in, obviously the girls dropped their one game against Great Britain on the way through to the final, but the boys were lucky to qualify in the end. They got one of the wildcard spots after are losing to the USA and Ireland in the pool stage. They only got up over Great Britain by a couple of tries, but went on to put in incredible performances in their quarter and semi-finals. Yeah, the, the Aussie men's had a bit of a mixed tournament. The, as you just highlighted, they didn't start the pool stages off very well. That um, extra, or yeah, extra point, golden point um, try to USA and then going down to Ireland, like they... They had their opportunities, but they just weren't seeming to take them. Whereas the women were taking their opportunities throughout the pools and were p- punishing their opposition. Uh, but once it got into the playoffs, they did really well. They they played like a completely different team, really. They changed the the way that they approached the game. And, and Maurice Longbottom really stood up and just had an absolute powerhouse performance through all of the finals. Come the final this evening, it's, it's kind of hard to sit here and talk about it, really, because they didn't really... Sh- fire a shot and credit to Argentina. They were 
we were completely outclassed and Argentina did mm. everything perfectly and just didn't allow us any ball. I think Australia had their hands on the ball for maybe a minute of the whole 14 minutes of that game. No, it was a total shutout. And that last try there, Matty Gonzalez, really well taken, but it was the first time we'd had the ball all game and we scored. So imagine what you can do with a little more time in possession. But Argentina, the form team uh, on the men's circuit at the moment, back-to-back wins over Australia in the finals. They did us in Cape Town and they've done us again here. Um, Ando, overall, we've got to say that the experience in Perth looked terrific, Mm. a full house for the final day. Yeah, yeah, completely agree. Uh, I think the tournament in Perth has been a great success. The rugby community has really got behind it. It helped that the Aussie teams did get through into the finals as well, obviously. So it meant that more and more people were wanting to turn up on the Sunday for the matches. I think it was a really, really well-run tournament. And as somebody that had been to the Sevens in Sydney, it looked like the crowd and the community seemed to get behind the rugby or the event in a more consistent fashion maybe than they had at Sydney. So well done. And for anybody looking at home who is looking at maybe some of the seats not being full and going, oh, how can it be a sellout crowd? Just remember that the passes are for the day. So you can sell out a crowd for the day and not have everybody there at the exact same time. Plus, it was really, really hot. So a lot of people looking for shade, off getting drinks or standing, watching it from somewhere else instead of being directly in their seats because they've been in the sun for most of the day. So overall... Great event, really well done to all the teams involved. I'm just still really, really pissed off, particularly for our Aussie women. Totally agree. And Mitch, we'll finish on a quick high. A couple of standouts from the girls for you. I thought BB Tarita had a brilliant tournament. Who else stood up in the girls? Yeah, I thought uh, Tarita, as you, as you highlighted, was probably the standout player for us, and we missed her in the final there. Um, she's shown, again, across her time at the Wallaroos and in the Sevens program that she's just gone from strength to strength. Um I thought Tegan Levi was really good in the minutes that she played. Yes, she had the the tackling issues and the, the sort of the time away from the field in this tournament and put the Australian team overall under a lot of pressure. But when she was on the field, you could definitely see the impact that she brought. And I mean, we, we talk about players and, and how good they are consistently. And Charlotte Kazlick is a player that you just expect her to be fantastic. But again, she led this team so well in this tournament. If she wasn't there... I don't think they perform half as well as they did. Not only is she the leader of the team and and doing the yeah, um, like the media and and the the huddles, but she's also um, talking to the girls and getting putting arms around them off the field. So she's just not only a great sevens player, but she's just that type of leader like Michael Hooper, who just being on the field and in the team lifts the players around her. And Ando, a couple of standouts from the men. You mentioned um, Moz Longbottom, Mitch. Who else could you add to that, Ando? Oh, look, I almost don't want to add anybody else because Moz Longbottom was just so, so incredibly good. Um, I think it was great to see Hutchinson back after his injury. So that was really, really um, good to see. And Matty Gonzalez looked good on the opportunities he got near the end of the game when he came on. He's been returning from injury. So good to see him getting back into the team and back onto the field again. So there there were some good performances throughout. Um, But yeah, again, just frustrating they weren't able to put it together on a more consistent fashion. I have to also shout out Ben Dowling. I thought he has been a player, maybe a development player over the last year. Um, and, you know, seeing him had time with the wider squad at the Waratahs and moved into the sevens. And he had a really good tournament. He played a lot of minutes, a lot more minutes than I thought he was going to get at sevens, considering it was our home tournament. Um, so, yeah, really impressed with him, particularly with how he played in the finals and took that high ball in the sun and then got completely knocked out by the 
the uh, Argentinian player taking him high in the air. Uh, but also Derby Lancaster, incredible performance. Had a preseason with the Rebels, wasn't officially in the squad, through injuries, got the call up, and he had some pivotal moments for the team throughout all of their pool stages. So a uh, really impressive performance from him as well. For sure. And just to round out, Mitch, we got a couple of um, fan picks come through. We have. So it's so great to see um, our pick and drive fans that have actually attended the Sevens in person. So the first photo that we've got up here on the screen, if you are following on YouTube, is our fan Brian Knight, who was able to catch up with Sir Bill Beaumont, the head of World Rugby at the Sevens in Perth. He sent this sneaky photo through and we do have to shout out his uh, club that he's repping, the great shirt that he's got on there in that photo, the Rocking Chair Rugby um, that's fantastic. The Golden Oldies is their club. So he's still out there playing and, and having a great contribution in Western Australia. So Brian's a great fan of ours and has been contributing to that podcast a lot over the last few years. He was over in um, <clears throat> over in France for the World Cup and sent some stuff through, some picks um, of the game over there as well. So thanks for sending those in. Hopefully he's um, got into, well, hopefully not got into Bill's ear too much about how great Perth is <laughs> and didn't sort of give him the the final away and we can keep that over on the east coast and the other photo we've got here is pod friend and family member simo um who've had on the pod before for our uh, western force previews in the past this was him and his rugby club so they've all g'd up and and got um i don't even know what how you would describe that outfit but just very a lot of color um glorious a lot of skins but all got into the the same um, atmosphere and got out there and supported the sevens as well. So fantastic to see some fans of pick and drive rugby and just rugby fans in general out there supporting the Australian sevens. That's right. And I think that'll wrap up our Perth segment, guys. Let's move on to the Rebels. Let's go. Let's go. All right, we move now to the biggest news in Australian rugby over the last week or so, which is the major concerns for the viability of the Melbourne Rebels moving forward. Now, it was a very um, somewhat timely, somewhat unfortunate timing for this uh, news to drop because we had just done our interview with Nick Styles, and then literally the next day this information comes out. So it just meant that we weren't able to speak to him directly about it. Now, I'll give listeners a bit of a rundown on where things are at with the Rebels just to provide a bit of context for our discussion. So um, when the, the Rebels for a long time have struggled financially, they're in the singular most competitive sporting market in the world uh, and they have struggled financially to keep themselves afloat. And for a large portion of their existence, well, actually for their entire existence, they've been relying upon funding from Rugby Australia to be coming through, some of which comes from the broadcast contract and some of which I'm not sure. But either way, what has essentially happened is that the Rebels have had to meet with a company called Wexted Advisors on Thursday of last week in order to have urgent and critical discussions about how to face their financial challenges that they are currently facing. Um, it is reported that the club has an estimated debt of around about $10 million. Okay, so that's the first part. Um, 
The Rebels had, according to the Australian, requested a $500,000 cash injection recently from RA to make sure that players and staff were paid but were denied by RA. And the part of the challenge that the Rebels are facing is that they previously were receiving $1.7 million per season from Rugby Australia. Um, all Super Rugby teams were, but that got uh, slashed as a result of the COVID pandemic. So Rugby Australia had to basically slash everything and they had to take $1.7 million away from the Rebels. Long story short, the Rebels are technically not in voluntary administration yet. What that would essentially mean is they're getting external people to come in and sell off their assets or um, look at ways in which the company can directly become viable again. They're not yet at that exact stage. They're kind of trying to dance on the tightrope to avoid moving into voluntary administration. The players have been guaranteed, the players and staff have been guaranteed that they will have their contracts and pay honoured for the 2024 season, uh, but there is no guarantee of anything beyond 2024. The final thing I'll say, Mitch, before I then kind of hand over to you for your immediate thoughts is um, the, the Melbourne Rebels chairman, Paul Doherty, his company, BRC Capital, has a debt of over $50 million. And they're one of the main backers of the Rebels. And so when you have a major backer like um, that going into such huge amounts of debt, that provides a bigger concern, well, an additional concern that the Rebels are facing mm. as well. So there's a lot going on here. Um, I will just say that neither Mitch nor I are financial gurus. So a lot of what I've taken has come, what I've said has just come from various articles speaking to it. Some from ESPN, some from Fox and some from The Raw. Okay, so those are the sources that I've used as well as the um, financial review. So Mitch, your initial thoughts on this massive news, which has rocked the rugby world so far? Yeah, look, it's uh, it's a bit of a shock to be honest. That's um, that's come out here. We we knew for a few years that the rebels have been financially um, maybe unviable or sort of tipping towards that that direction. Uh, the fact that they just haven't over the past few seasons been able to secure long term high end talent um, over their playing roster that they have had issues in paying players and and we've know. If we look over the, the history of Australian rugby, that whole period of having to cut a team um, when we ended up cutting the force and then the Rebels were sort of bought by RA at that period for about a dollar, all of those things, like the Rebels haven't been trending in a much better position since that period of time. So in some ways, I guess the financials isn't a surprise, but it is disappointing uh, to see that we are now talking about the fact that the Rebels financially may not be able to continue in Super Rugby post-2024, what the future looks like for the club. Can we, as a sport, afford to lose the Rebels or lose that um, that presence in the sporting market in Victoria and in Melbourne particularly? I'm, I'm not too sure. My big questions come around what obligations fall on Rugby Australia and the amount of money that Rugby Australia might end up losing. Should we lose the Rebels in 2025, then you would imagine that the Victorian government, who is currently putting lots and lots of money into um, rugby, they, they've secured, they, well, they secured the, the Bledisloe test last year at the MCG. They've paid for and won the rights to Super Round for the last three seasons. They've There's talks that they are higher 
highly keen to get the Rugby World Cup final in 2027. Mm-hmm. They're willing to outbid any other state to make sure that it does get played at the MCG. Um, and then we have the Lions coming in 2025. So not only is there a test against the Rebels lined up on the books, but I think the, the Victorian government is keen to have a test played in Melbourne as well. So if we don't have, if the Rebels do end up folding and we don't have that presence in the market, does that all of a sudden mean that the Victorian government loses that interest in hosting those big events yeah. and wanting to have the sport of a, of rugby union being played? And, and what does that mean for RA as well? Yeah, look, there's a whole bunch of questions that come from this. And the $50 million is what's being touted as um, the Victorian state government putting to RA to try and buy the Rugby World Cup final at the MCG, which is money that uh, Rugby Australia just desperately needs. So that does call that into question. Additionally, mm. additionally, big questions need to be asked about the Rebels' management over the last few years to allow debts to skyrocket mm. to this amount. Now, I know that a lot of clubs are going to be struggling as a result of COVID um, and the impact that that's had, but... I mean, we were down there for Super Round. You look at the crowds and the like that are coming to the Rebels matches and the the crowd attendance is low. The crowd attendance is low. And yep. the Super Round, um, the, first and the first iteration of Super Round wasn't great. The second was improved and we're hoping that the third this year, again, will be an improvement upon the second. But there's obviously some challenges that are going on down in the market where a lot of the good movements that you will hear from Nick Styles about the direction of the team and the work that they're doing to connect with the grassroots of Victoria to build up a quality and consistent playing roster. It's almost like it's all just come too late. It's all just mm. too too late to make a difference considering the financial struggles that they're in. And when we then tie that in, and I'll throw this uh, back to you as well in a moment, um, we, we know Matt from Gold Digger Rugby very, very well. Um, and he put out an excellent documentary, which was looking into the golden years of Australian rugby and what happened. And essentially the story is the diluting of the player base within a niche sport in Australia has led to the players not being familiar enough with each other, which then means that they don't perform at a high enough level in major competitions and they don't win. So therefore they don't we don't get enough um, bums on seats, eyes on TVs, ticket sales, news articles, that kind of thing. And that's from a dilution of talent. Now, it may well be seen in certain quarters that this is a golden opportunity to take away one of the super rugby teams, arguably the weakest super rugby team over the last decade, um, and say, all right, we're going to take that team out. That means that all the quality players of the Rebels are now going to be available for Super Rugby Pacific teams throughout Australia, the, the four remaining, so that'll improve their quality. Do you reckon how much... Uh, that's a hard one, isn't it, mate? Do you think that that's an option that could potentially happen with Rugby Australia? Well, there's, there is a likelihood that that will happen. And my fear is there's two ways that that decision will go. If we do, If it does eventuate that the Rebels do have to fold, we go down to four teams. There's two ways. And we're already starting to see a little bit of this happening with the news that Kellaway has signed with New South Wales Waratahs for 2025 and 20, uh, from 2025 to 2027. Now, there are reports that he has been in talks with the Waratahs 
for a while yep. and this yep. move isn't anything to do with the financials at the rebels and he's not sort of jumping ship because he thinks it's just, correct it's going in the wrong direction uh but it does go to show that there is player movement there is interest for players to move around the two ways that i can see this going one yes the successful way would be that we do fold the rebels the super uh, the rugby australia topped up wallaby players so um, Kellaway is, as an example, Salakai Loto, you would imagine Taniel Tupo, because they are contracted long-term with Rugby Australia, we would hope that they would then move on to another Australian Super Rugby Club. But the fear is that once the Rebels fold, post-2024, their contracts, regardless of whether it's with Australian Rugby or the Melbourne Rebels, is null and void, and they can then seek a contract elsewhere. And we mm. lose that talent overseas because all of a sudden they've lost faith in Australian rugby, being able to commit to them as players and to yep. commit to their long-term, um, yeah, protect them, their best interests, basically, to keep them in Australia. They might see it better to go offshore at that point. So the the positive would be that maybe, yes, we can keep that talent. We can disperse it across the Australian landscape and then have more competition, better squads across the other four franchises. But the fear is that as as a sport and as a um as a governing body that we aren't able to keep those players in and we just lose all of that talent the other question then comes into if that does happen if we do end up folding the rebels what does that what are our contractual obligations to sands are on stan the current stan broadcast deal is into i believe until 2025 and is up for renewal in 2026 we have a contractual obligation to present a certain number of games with five teams if the rebels fold next year what happens then yeah, and I guess um, I want to put this out there that we're not saying the Rebels should be folded. I want to make that very clear because we actually both like the Rebels um, and we're both kind of broad fans of them and we value the direction that the team has been going in the last couple of years. And uh, I've been drinking the Kool-Aid, particularly after chatting with Stalzi and hearing about what they've been doing down in Victoria. Um, but we're just saying that that, is a direction that could happen in the future and that there could be some benefits but also some draw size if you're just being ruthless and ignoring the rugby community in Victoria. Um, If Hamish McLennan was still kind of at the helm, I'd be thinking much more along the lines that Rugby Australia would be looking to get rid of the Rebels if they could. I'm not so sure that um, what the current leadership would be looking for. Um, That's a tough one to see. The other thing I wanted to say is there's just, if the Rebels were to fold and you we asked the question, what happens to the players from Victoria and the pathways that they be looking, what, what, they, what they would be doing, there's also the possibility of maybe Victorian teams or players being channeled through particular pathways like they're currently doing with the West Bulldogs in the Hospital Cup. So currently the West Bulldogs mm. are, essentially the Melbourne Rebels, but just playing in the club team and um, club system in Queensland. And you just wonder if there if there could be partnerships set up in the future if they had to go down that path. Um, so any Victorian rugby players can go, all right, I still want to play rugby. Uh, I'll get to go play for this um, team in Queensland, in Brisbane. And that would then enable me to then have a genuine shot at being seen and picked for a super rugby team. I don't know. But look... I think what we can say is that the fact that it's got to this point is incredibly disappointing. I would really like to see a mm. um, bit of a 
defense by the rebels an, an explanatory or a show cause of what happened what enabled things to get to this financial point provide some clarity and don't just blame it on the last couple of years of a lack of 1.7 of ra funding because 1.7 times three is not nine million dollars so it <laughs> obviously some significant shortfalls in finances outside of that funding which the rebels need to be in some ways accountable to the rugby public for. And I hope mm. that they can do that because like I said, I like them. They've been going in the right direction the last couple of years. I like Nick Styles. I like Kevin Foote. There are a bunch of the players that I really want to see do well, uh, as long as the Waratahs beat them. <laughs> Which they didn't beat them both times last year. So look, there's, there's so much more that can be said about this. If it does get decided either way what happens where they continue whether they don't uh we could have a whole podcast talking about options and suggestions mergers yep. um yep. you know acquisition of talent all of those types of things but realistically we have a great interview coming up now with nick stars and mm. i think that's what people want to hear so let's uh yep. let's finish things off here talk about the rebels we we wish and we hope that we can see them in super rugby post 2024 it would be really disappointing from an australian rugby perspective if this is their last season in Super Rugby, and look, we don't know at this point, but if it is, we hope that they have uh, they have make a really strong contribution to the tournament this year, and we can see them play some finals footy um, at the end of the season. So. Anything else you want to say about this before we move on to the interview, Ando? Don't forget that we're going to have a second in, uh, second episode out on Wednesday, so make sure you tune in for our preview and our predictions of the 2024 Super Rugby Pacific season for the Rebels. But let's jump on into Nick Styles now. All right, let's go. So, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Pick and Drive Rugby. I'm incredibly excited to be here with Nick Styles, the general manager for rugby at the Melbourne Rebels. Nick, thanks for coming. How are you? Yeah, great, Ando. Uh, mate, pleasure to be on the show for the first time. Uh, looking forward to the chat. Very much so. Very much so. So, we are recording on a Wednesday. What is happening today in Melbourne for the Melbourne Rebels? Well, pretty exciting Wednesday today. It's uh, it's our first, it's our third week back in in uh, you know in preparations for the season um, in January, and it's the first week where we've gone to a new training model. So we're actually uh, changing our what our week looks like because this year we've got a lot of basically all our games are Friday to Friday. Um, so mm -hmm. we've gone to a three-day consecutive training model. So sort of Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday um, model, and then a Thursday off and then a Friday game. So today's the first week we'll put that into place. Uh, so the boys ripped in and, and trained really well this morning. It helped. It was only 15 degrees and pouring rain this morning. <laughs> and then uh, compared to yesterday, it was 35 degrees plus. So uh, typical Melbourne weather. And then this afternoon, they're currently in the second part of our Media day, we did a half media, internal media day in December last year. We've got a lot of content mm -hmm. pre-recorded and today we're doing headshots and team photos and um, and engagement through the, with the SuperW side as well. So it's a pretty cool day. Brilliant. So you're blending that together with the women as well? Yeah. One of the things, um, you know, people have been around us a bit now over the last few years, we talk about, you know, a one club mentality. Uh, Baden mm. Stevenson, myself, we, you know, we're sort of, Showing our age here, Ando, but uh, we we came through the amateur era. We played uh, a lot of our you know club 
rugby club. We know the, the importance of having that yeah, club environment, interaction between mm-hmm. the teams. And it's something we've tried to sort of reproduce in the modern day because so many players these days don't get that experience of knowing what a club's like. So with this uh, bringing the Super W side in under the Rebels banner a couple of years ago, we said, well, let's drive one club. So between the Super W, the men's team and our academy teams, we try to really link the three of them together and give them that genuine interaction. We love to hear that. Um, We are massive Super W fans here as well and love every opportunity to spruik the women too. So it's great to hear about that one club mentality in Melbourne. And I guess that ties into kind of the first line of questioning I'd love to hit you with, which is a bit more about you and your role as GM. So for me, I first heard your name because I'm a bit newer to the rugby scene and some other people um, when you were involved with the Queensland Reds. And then from 2017, you then moved to Japan to be with the Kintetsu Liners and then in 2021 moved to the rebels to take up the gm role so that's that's pretty varied a lot of different places that you've been to but what was it that made you move to melbourne and say yes to the opportunity to be gm of the rebels yeah there's, there's a couple of a couple of parts that to that question and um probably from you know what you stated there's all, all true but before that time at the Queensland Reds, I, I uh, you know, mentioned already, came through the amateur days, played a lot of club rugby. Um, when I when I finished my playing, I um, I also worked for the Queensland Rugby Union back in the community. Um, mm-hmm. So the coaching director uh, for the juniors and and the suburban back in those days. So had a really good touch point with what you know the amateur and and volunteer rugby involves. And then my mm-hmm. first coaching stint was at the University of Queensland. So I coached for two years there primary grade and then I went in my first stint in uh in Japan with Kubota um and then went from there to uh, to the Western Force and and had my first stint coaching uh rugby there in Perth which is fantastic time so I sort of for me when I sort of finished um at the liners um I sort of thought felt this role would be perfect for me in the sense mm. that I feel I've been across the whole business. You know, I've been a professional player. I've been a professional coach. Uh, I've coached Clubland. You know, I played a lot in Clubland. So felt I had a really good touch point across the whole organisation. And it's important to, you know, to drive what we're doing on the field with the men's and women's teams, but to also understand the importance of how they link them back into the commercial team, uh, link back into memberships, link back into Rugby Victoria. So it was something that uh, excited me and felt my skill set that I'd put together over the previous sort of 30 years would come through uh, nicely. So then what was the specific mandate that you had as the general manager of rugby at the Rebels? What was it that you were aiming to achieve when you took on that role? Sorry, yeah, and the, the second part to your, to your question, Ando, is probably uh, more than around where the organisation was um, in their growth. When I came back from Japan, um, there was a couple of things. Uh, the people involved at the club, I knew the chairman, uh, the CEO, and then the head coach, I, I, I I had various interactions with all of them over over time and I wanted to be involved with good people and that was mm-hmm. something that really drew, drew me to come down to Melbourne and then that the club was in a, a real big... Uh, I made some really big decisions around that they wanted to grow and they wanted to look at how we grow our cohesion, look at our recruitment of trying to build rather than purely buy and that was something that I felt that uh, I did really well at Queensland Reds and I wanted to come down mm-hmm. here and 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 
believe in that around having a board, having a CEO, head coach, an organisation that really wanted to grow and and develop rather than look for a quick fix. So that's what drew me down to Melbourne. Yep. And I think that um, speaks really well to some of the commentary or criticism that could be labelled at the Rebels uh, traditionally is that they haven't always had a homegrown player base or they've often had players uh, like Danny Cipriani <laughs> coming into the Rebels for a year or two. Like those types of big name imports that are there for a year, get a lot of attention, but don't stay to improve the club over the longer term. So what are you and the Rebels trying to do in what is the most saturated sporting market in Australia, Victoria? Um, what are you trying to do to ensure that the club is successful, particularly considering what we've heard about some of the uh, concerning financial things which have which have moved on now? Yeah, and uh, sort of probably you mentioned, you know, it's the most saturated market in Australia. It's the most saturated market in the world. There's more professional sporting teams here in Melbourne than there is in any other city worldwide. Wow. So the, wow. the, the market is incredibly tough. Um, but I, I think we learnt, you know, setting up a club from scratch with, with limited support is difficult. You look at how the AFL, the NRL set up teams now, they put hundreds of millions into these teams mm -hmm. and draft concessions, multiple things. So, um, you know, it wasn't easy when the club was set up. They had some fantastic people um, putting the club together and trying to put together the best team they could. So that's why your Cipriani's and those style mm -hmm. of players ca came here. But what we've seen is none of that genuinely works. It's about building. Um, and a big part of that is really embracing the community. Um, while Melbourne's rugby community isn't huge compared to a Queensland or New South Wales, what we do is we have a very strong um, and loyal group of people in, in Victoria, and we've got a really big Pacifica community down here. It probably, probably helps that the, the big physical Pacifica players don't suit AFL. So then the, yeah. the AFL scouts aren't out in the suburbs uh, trying to poach a lot, of, a lot of these players. So it's up to us to make sure that we're doing a, a fantastic job of providing an opportunity for a young Victorian player to come through the pathway and now aspire to be a Melbourne Rebel. And, you know, over the last 12, 13 years, I think we're in a position now when we're doing that. You've got that mm. senior group of players um, that were all at the World Cup, you know, Jordi Ulisi, Pone Farmasuli, uh, Paddy Leota, all, all born and bred talents. And, and you throw into that, you know, Robbie Leota, um, another Victorian you know, born and bred player uh, that's come through the pathway is that Victorian rugby is actually producing a lot of players that are going on and playing for Australia. Mm -hmm. And we're proud of that. Uh, and I feel we've got another crop of young guys coming in under those original burn boys that, you know, they sort of self-nicknamed themselves. You know, we've got um, Daniel Maiafi, uh, Leafi Talatina, um, uh, Isaac Kaleo. So we've got another crop of players, uh, Tavi Tuitua Pilotu. So we've got another crop of players that are, are so invested in the Melbourne Rebels, having come through the juniors, the school system, and now playing with the Rebels that we feel we've got a base to grow on. And then we've gone about trying to recruit some of the best players um, to bring down to the club early and develop, and then also bring in some mm. key acquisitions like we have done. Yeah, and we might just jump to that question right now because it does uh, feed in really well. How was it that the Rebels were able to get probably the biggest signing in Australian rugby this season, Taniela Tupo, down? And does it coincide with the KFC partnership that just got announced? 
Yeah, listen, uh, I know Alex Murphy and a few of the other uh, boys would like to think that, uh, you know, Taniella signed on the dog line once we, we ticked off that KFC sponsorship. But no, that did, didn't have anything to do with it. Uh, <laughs> you know, Taniella is a player that uh, obviously came over the Queensland Reds from New Zealand as a schoolboy. Um, I happened to be coaching the Reds at that time, so formed up a you know really good relationship with with Taniella, and it was something that even though when I was moved on from the Reds, that uh, we stayed in contact over time, and there was a high level of respect um, in that relationship. And so I think Taniella got to a point where you know he felt like he probably stagnated a little bit, uh, felt like a change, randomly texted me. One day I was work, walking through uh, through town. I think I was on Little Collins Street, and I got a random text number come in because um, Taniella had changed his number and said, "Oh, are you looking for a tight head next year?" And and I said, "Oh, mate, who's this? You know, I'm always looking for players." And he came back and said, "It's Nella." And uh, you know, very skeptical of of the text messages coming from a random mm-hmm. number. So I went back to Instagram because that was normally how we'd uh, communicate through that. And I said, "Mate." did you just text me? I got a random mate. He said, yeah, mate, that's me. And so uh, from that uh, text message, you know, probably another 12 months down the track, we got to the point where he signed on and, and he's down here. And, and I think the change has been very good for him. Uh, the environment we have here at the club um, around, you know, Kevin's culture, the, the love culture um, mm-hmm. and uh, is something that he's, you know, a lot of Pacific boys really fit into nicely. And Taniela's, um loving the environment but the big thing when we sat down with Taniello he, he said um are you serious about winning oh I only want to go to a club that wants to win and um it was great to see that his motivation was uh, uh being driven by winning um I know it's a stupid thing to say but ultimately yep. he wanted to be in a club where he knew he was in an environment that was going to do everything they could to be better and to win and and um Taniello's really enjoying that we're looking forward to getting him out in the field uh come round one how is he going in terms of his uh, progression back from injury and the like? We've had a couple of questions, one from Chop, another from Hugh Tindall, just about his fitness and whether he will be good to go uh, come week one. Yeah, listen, he, he's had a pretty disrupted uh, last two years, hasn't he? Uh, did yeah. a calf injury yep. for the Reds and and then snapped his Achilles playing for the Wallabies. And it was it's quite not ironic, It was, but when we did present to him, you know, pitch to him about coming to the, coming to the Rebels, I, I put together some stats around how minutes he'd actually played for the Reds in the previous three seasons. Uh, and, and competition-wide, in all players, I think he'd played the second most amount or third most amount of minutes in the whole competition over those three years. And, and um, wow. I said, mate, if you keep put, getting pushed out like that, you're going to break down. And unfortunately for him, he did do that. Um, yep. And so we, we brought him into our environment and worked closely with Rugby Australia around how we can maximise uh, a program for Taniella that gets him to peak fitness to be able to play rugby that we know he can play. So um, mm. he's he's going really well. We've, we've made sure we, we haven't rushed him straight back into rugby post the World Cup. He's built up over, over that time uh, since he got to us in December and he's now at a position where he's dropped some weight and, um, and physically he's joining into most of the rugby now and looking very good. Very exciting. We run a fantasy draft rugby competition as well. So a few managers are going to be very happy to hear that he's in good nick and in good shape. Um, now, that kind of speaks to some of the squad rotation, uh, wrong word, squad turnover. 
that the Rebels have experienced over the last couple of years. Um, from last season to this season, we've lost Hodge, Philip, Hardwick, Ioani, Hosea, Moore, but those are just some of the big names. Um, we've had the arrival of Lucan, Sarkai, Loto, Nella, of course, Matty Proctor. What are the Rebels trying to do to ensure that the players that have come in integrate quickly and hit the ground running. And we don't have a repeat of some of the moments last season where there were some heavy, heavy defeats or giving up of big leads. And watching those games back, it just seemed like at points there was a lack of connection between players. Maybe they didn't trust the players inside and out. What are you trying to do to ensure the squad squad stays and grows together well? Yeah, it's, um, yeah, there's a few things there. Listen, firstly, um, some of those players that, that did move on, Hodge, Hardwick, um, in, in, and Matt Phillip in particular, guys mm. that had been in the club for, you know, a long time. Uh, the legends these days, of the club, yeah. This, this day and age, you, you know, the players don't play for one club their whole career anymore. Those days are gone. So, you know, Hodge was the first player to play for 100 games for the Melbourne Rebels. So he was a fantastic servant to the club. Um, his plans had always been to stay until that World Cup in France and, and then transition on, same like as Hardwick and, and Matty Phillips. So there's na- oh, you always get a natural bit of churn post-World Cup. That's um, it, you can't avoid that. Um, so it sort of allowed us as well then to go and target some key players for us that we wanted to have in the squad for the next four years. And so those players that you mentioned, um, um, Luke Arne, uh, Taniella, Matty Proctor, all signed multi-year deals. Uh, we all feel that they're very experienced players and bring a point of difference to us that we feel will take our game to the next level. Taniella's scrummaging, his ball carry, his impact, what he has. Luke Arn's a massive human. I, I do not know how mm-hmm. the Wallabies did not take, take him to the World Cup. Um, and But to be honest, it was something that's worked out well for us because he has been at the Rebels now since I think he arrived late August. Um, so now he's been oh, wow. with us for, for multiple months of training. He's a dead set leader within the group. And one of the things that um, I know there's a big point of difference in the squad this year is a, around accountability. And, um, and rather than it coming purely from the coach, we've got some players that have come into the group that um, that were already here that really have evolved as a, as a leader and have driven, brought a really high level of accountability. And, and Lucan's been one of those players. And, and him being here since then um, means he's a genuine part of the squad and a genuine leader. So he's been fantastic. And then Matty Proctor, losing Hodgie, um, you know, Hodgie, a uh, fantastic player, could play multiple positions, but brought a real level of calmness. We wanted to make sure that we replaced Hodgie with someone like Matty Proctor, same thing, experienced mm-hmm. player. He's, he's won a World, uh, a World Cup. He's won a Super Rugby title, so he knows what you've got to do to win. Um, he's experienced through his time in Europe and, and um, he's come in and brought a real, real level of uh, experience to some of the, you know, sort of, other players in and around him knowing that we've got some younger centres and outside backs. So he's been great. So really happy that even though we have lost some really big names and legends of the club, that the people who brought in really offset those guys. Um, the, the other point that I want to really highlight is that now the bulk of the group, while we did have that senior sort of group leave, the bulk of the squad now has been coming into their third or fourth year with the club. So there's mm-hmm. been a real high, high level of cohesion amongst that group and we've tried to be 
a bit different in how we've gone about building that cohesion. Um, Benny Darwin, you know, old, old Wallaby's teammate of mine, front row partner. Ironically, We've had a chat same, with him previously, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> so we born, know all about born, the big C word. Yeah, so we're born on the same day, a few years difference, but, uh, you know, a big believer in that. And it's, you know, that's simple philosophy, but the whole cohesion and TWI and how we can bridge the gap without a third tier is a, is a, is a real thing. It's not make-believe, it's not, it's not pretend, it's real. So over the last few years, We've had most of our players playing out of one club up in Brisbane, so trying to drive mm-hmm. the cohesion in those younger guys there. We've been proactive about organising extra games overseas, uh, internally as well. So we felt we've done our best that we can to drive that cohesion amongst the squad um, that sat underneath those senior guys that are left to have come in. So we do feel now that we're in a position that uh, we've been together for a few years now. So there's a real good understanding amongst the group, uh, coaches with the players, players with the coaches and player to player. So we, we feel that's improved. But I think one of the big things we struggled with last season in 2023 was that we played this brand football that now is really getting ingrained into us, but we just didn't have the capabilities to play that for 80 minutes, to play Rebels rugby for 80 minutes. Um, and we've had a change in, in strength and conditioners. Um, our head SNC, he moved on and went over to the Stormers uh, with Dave Vessels, you know, connection over there. So fantastic opportunity for him to go over there. But it also allowed us to promote and get a new uh, head SNC. And I think sometimes getting a little bit of fresh, uh, fresh blood in a position brings a little bit of a different style. Um, and we had reviewed really hard and were very critical on our ability to play for 80 minutes last year. So I do think that uh, uh, Luke Vella, our new head SNC, has done a fantastic job in really pushing the players um, harder and therefore becoming a lot fitter, which will allow us to play for 80 minutes of this you know, expansive style of rugby that you know Kevin's very adamant about us playing. So what is Rebels rugby? Expansive, full 80 minutes, what else does it encompass? Oh, listen, I think it's it's ability for us to to back yourself and have a go. Um, you know, Kevin, Kevin, for those of you who don't know, Kevin, um, originally a South African, uh, played sevens, captain the South African sevens team. So comes from, uh, you know, a style of football where you're playing, uh, exciting and wanting to have a go and back yourself. And so Kevin was really adamant about bringing that style um, into Super Rugby. Uh, you look at how the Kiwis play the game and they've been the, the benchmark of, of Super Rugby, you know, basically the whole time. And, and they play a style of football that um, they will back themselves. Their very their ability to blend between structured and unstructured is unique. And that's the way that Kevin wants to play. And we've got players now that we've recruited in uh, another name we haven't mentioned, some of Filippo Dangunu, probably been forgotten a little bit in Australian rugby, but Filippo, Derby Lancaster, uh, and mm. Kellaway, Joe Pincus, Lockie Anderson, guys that are fantastic attacking footballs. And, and so if we've got these players that, that can excite and play, well, let's play it. We've got a big forward pack that is abrasive and we want to be physical and dominate contact. But now we've got that blend, I think, with this um, that style of play of, of having a go, attacking. I think we've got one of the best tens in the competition, Carter Gordon, um, directing things now and the experience he's 
he's had in the last couple of years, you know, ups and downs along the way, he's primed to continue growing. So it's it's a really good blend between that physicality and, and the ability to to back yourself and, and attack. Speaking to that physicality, you could pretty convincingly argue that the Rebels have the biggest pack in at least the Aussie Super Rugby side of the draw. you got Caboose, Pone, Rob Liotta, Sam Talakai, Matty Gibbon, Vailani Akawasi, Taniela. I mean, I've barely named any hookers, locks, or most of the back row, and yet those are some absolutely huge human beings right there. At what point does the rubber hit the road and the Rebels' season-long performances need to be stepping up? Because they haven't had a finals berth in 13 years, if we exclude Super Rugby AU. In 2019, finished 11th, 2022, 10th, 2023, 11th. There's so much hope and positivity. At what point can we be seeing what uh, that, that hope and opportunity come to fruition? No, 100% right. We, we haven't played finals, um, you know, under the proper Super Rugby format. Mm. And 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 Kevin ha- has not shied away from that at all through this off-season. You know, um, we admitted what we, what we dished out last year, while we felt was a massive improvement, uh, how we attacked, the ability to score tries, we knew we didn't defend well. We knew we, we didn't mm. close games out. We weren't fit enough. Um, and has not shied away from that at all, um, and clearly stated that in in a meeting we had um, back at the start of preseason last year, which had everyone in there by the Wallabies and even key stakeholders and board members were all in that meeting. But then what he went on to say is that we want to be the best Rebels team in history um, coming into 2024, and, and as you've said, no team's made the final, so you know it's not like we're saying. Uh, it's an outlandish statement, but to be the greatest Rebels team, we've got to be so much better and feel that rather than sell hope and provide fluff and, and, and you know, the normal sort of jargon that you can punch out there that I feel we've been, we've been very understated through everything we've pushed out the social media around, not trying to create this false hope, but we'll actually show people that how hard we are working um, how committed mm-hmm. we are to being better, and 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 the focus of being the, the being the greatest rebel side that there has been. And if we do that well, we will put ourselves in a position to be in finals. And we don't want just want to be there. We want to be able to get there and play the football that we we've been been building towards over the last few years. And that's that's really hopeful because I mean, whilst sorry to say I'm I'm Sydney based, I'm a Waratahs fan. But I do have a massive soft spot for the Rebels. Been down there for the Super Round. Got a jersey in my wardrobe for the Rebels. Absolutely love Australian rugby in a broad sense. As much as it will probably mean the Waratahs lose a few more games as well, it'd be great to see the Rebels up and competitive to the extent that really with the squad that you have, you're capable of playing. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why... You know, I just look at the quality of training that we're having at the moment. Um, even talking to a player when he came off the field this morning, he said he just feels the, the, the growth in the squad with some of those young kids that we had three years ago that might have been first year out of school. Now they've been in the program for three years. They're, they're hitting their strides. The quality of the Proctors and Dangunus, uh, Luke Arns, Nell, all those guys, what that's brought into the squad. Um, and, and the intensity that we're having in training, you just feel, and the quality mm. and execution is, has has been lifted so much more than we've had in the past. So he feels the gap between what might be your best side to your second side in training is so much closer 
which then allows us to have, uh, you know, a much higher level of, of training uh, intensity and, and ability to continue to improve and be challenged um, across the whole squad. So I reckon that's probably one of the big things for us now that we do have that depth in the squad that we can really challenge ourselves uh, to be better. One of the players that on a similarly exciting vein has come into the picture is Derby Lancaster. Uh, is he the Corey tool of 2024? I mean, obviously he was a gun on the seventh circuit last year. How's he adjusting to the 15s game and how's Lockie Anderson as an ex sevens player adjusting to the, the new guy that's going to be trying to take his position? Yeah, it was funny. Uh, um, it's funny you mentioned those two, I think, in, in a session yesterday. It wasn't full noise. And Lockie had been out of training for a few days. He was, I think he needed a new haircut or, or he protect his hairstyle before <laughs> the media day today. So he missed mm-hmm. a few sessions. But uh, Lockie came in and Derby had been going well. So I think Dar- Lockie came in and gave him a pretty swinging, swinging high shot to the head to try and take him out and uh, get he- remove that threat from him. But no, listen, they've been good um, for the, your real diehard fans out there, those who had watched the Aussie 20s last mm-hmm. year. You would have seen Derby really, really grow um, into the 15s game each game he played, and I think that I think it was the game their last game against New Zealand. I thought his performances there. He came off the wing, went looking for work, got opportunities with the space, just showed what an exciting footballer in the 15s game he can be. And then you know when when we went aggressively to go and get him, um, definitely had in mind of what Corey. Tool did uh, for the Brumbies and and yep. feel that Derby, given some opportunities, could be that same style of player um, with that speed. You, you just can't coach the speed, and you see the excitement no. when, he, when he gets the ball with a bit of space. Uh, what he can do um, in saying that, he's, he's still learning. You know, he's still still adjusting to to the amount of work you've got to do in the backfield. You know, defensively um, now it's just a little bit different to that seven style. But you, I think if you looked last year, probably two of the players that did really put their hands up last year was Lockie Anderson, which you mentioned, yep. but also Joe Pincus was another yep. one who both of them had come out of sevens and had missed a bit of football two years ago. But to see how they transitioned in the 15s last year um, just shows that I think Kevin's, Kevin's ability to know the sevens game so well and then be able to bring those sevens players into the into the fifteen. A side game was a real benefit for Derby, and we're seeing Derby grow each week. So he, he could be a very, very exciting prospect for us. Yeah, and I think, look, there's a realistic part of me that thinks he'll probably need a season to bet in. Mm. Um, there were yeah. moments where Corey Tool looked amazing, um, and in other times we got found out a bit defensively. Lockie Anderson, he was awesome last year, but not so much prior to that. And mm. so it just shows, obviously, you expect that within any player coming into a new team, but particularly when you're mm. making a transition from sevens to fifteens. But um who else should we be getting excited about? Maybe some of the younger players oh. that we may not know as well. I mean Andrew Kelway, everyone's going to be talking him up. <laughs> yeah. Yep. There's there's a smaller version of Carter Gordon at the club. Is he better than a bigger version of Carter Gordon? No, Mason, no, it's uh Mason Gordon <laughs> for those you don't know. He's uh yeah, a couple of years younger than Carter, uh as talented as Carter. Um, starting to fill out. Uh, I think um, Mason was probably a little bit leaner than what Carter was at that same sort of time 12 months ago, you know, 12 months ago. So Mason's starting to fill out now to put him in a position to be able to physically, you know, in a good position to play. So he's he's a very exciting prospect for us, definitely. 
Um, another one that I think people might have forgotten about through injury was Glenn Bahu. Um, yeah. he, he, if you remember, two years ago, he played every game for us on the wing. And um, unfortunately, in his last game two years ago, where we beat the Highlanders here, uh, did a bad thing. Was bad Liz Frank's injury to his to his foot, which ruled him out for the rest of the year, and then did his hamstring in the warm up game be the Brumbies last year. So he missed, you know, missed all last year as well. So he he's just re- regained real strength through his body and and his training uh, and how strong he's looked has been fantastic. And he was someone that in that game when we went over to Japan and played the Liners back in October. He, he, he did things out there that just showed his ability. So he's, he's someone that I'm really looking forward to coming through as, as one of the younger guys. Um, who else in the Ford pack? You've mentioned Violini before. He had a breakout season for us. Violini Ekesau mm. had some really big performances. He, he's come back. He's a wrecking ball with training. So, But he's no one new. Uh, probably a name that uh, who's played the last two years, but Josh Cannon. He, uh, he was amazing. I say his yeah. name that um, you know, I don't think he's a household name by any stage outside of Victoria, but he, he went away, he was picked in Australia A, he went in the Barbars tour, and just to see him now uh, physically where he's at and his rugby IQ, see where that's grown from three years ago to this point in time, I, I, I've got full belief he's going to be someone that's going to be knocking on, on the Wallabies door moving forward. So another exciting yep. player there. and. Um, probably the last one, Isaac Cleo. You know, he's been in our squad for mm. a couple of years. Loose head prop. Loose head prop. Um, you know, he's gone and played quite a bit of rugby up for UQ in, in Brisbane over the last couple of years. And he, he's got fantastic footwork and, you know, he's a powerful carrier. But the, the part of his game that I've really loved this year is through the preseason has been his scrummaging. You know, when you're packing against... Pone and, and uh, Taniella and Sam Talakai every session. You're packing against world-class props. So uh, he, his, uh, his quality of his scrummaging has really come up to meet the rest of his game. So I'm looking for him to have a bit of a breakout season as well. That's incredibly exciting. Well, as we're bringing things into close, we are having the opportunity to speak to a lot of head coaches uh, before the season begins. And I want to ask them all the same question. For all of the Rebels and Aussie rugby fans out there, what message do you want to share with them? Why should they be excited about the Melbourne Rebels in 2024? For a lot of things that we've mentioned before this year, we've been... Uh, we've had some real consistency through our coaching staff over the last three years. Um, we've backed them, we've backed their ability, and now we're seeing a squad that has real clarity in how they want to play the game, which is because with that clarity, then you can really drive your culture and you can drive your intensity through training. So I think we're in a position now where we've got that in the whole organisation from the top down. Um, and then you should be excited about our squad and the, the capabilities of our players and the, the depth of our squad that they're going to be in a position to deliver that clarity of, of rugby and how we want to play the game and, and, and deliver that week in, week out for our fans and, and the hunger that the squad's got to, to be the best team we've ever had so it's it's an exciting time for us and and we want to reward the people of you know the loyal fans that we've had for a long time that have been deprived of of success that you know this year hopefully is going to be their year well thank you so much for your time we hugely appreciate it and best of luck to the rebels in 2024 now thanks very much Ando. thanks for having us on